Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Drunk? I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're talking about I'll Drink to That, the autobiography of Betty Halbreich, the iconic personal shopper of Bergdorf Goodman's solutions department. Well, chicas, hmm. last time we got a little tipsy chatting over Betty's non-traditional newlywed days. A little. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Her lack <laughs> of financial independence her struggles with motherhood, and her unfortunate relationship with her mother-in-law, Florence. Ugh. Yeah, guys. Good Five o'clock in the Halbreich house was new happy hour. And sadly, our conversations about chapters three and four led us down a path of more heartbreak. Betty had to deal with Sonny's infidelities, mm. her own liaisons, working for the first time in her life, and ultimately her marriage falling apart. Oh. After six weeks in a mental institution, Betty finds herself lost and alone. But as we know, our Betty is a fighter and she will power through. Right? Yes. yes. She will. Since we're talking a lot today about Betty's work life at Bergdorf Goodman, we needed a cocktail to match. Today's cocktail is called Ladies of Luxury. Oh Ooh. my! Ooh. How fancy! She even looks luxurious, doesn't she? Ladies? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> but fancy. she's not all about just looking and tasting good. She's got substance. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. sorry. This Mom is going to be a good Jed. one. <laughs> this cocktail also adds more value to what we're discussing in our episode today. Here to share the recipe. <laughs> Shut up, Brandy. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this sexy cocktail is our sexy bartender, Ricardo. Ricardo. Ciao, ragazze, benvenute. Ah, ciao! Hola! So today's cocktail is called Ladies of Luxury. And it's a Ooh. twist on the other cocktail that is called Pineapple Express. For this cocktail, we need a little bit of preparation. And the first mm. thing is infusing the vodka with ginger. To infuse any kind of spirit, we just need a jar where we can put our spirit and in this case, the ginger. We should put our jar in a dark place, and this recipe calls for an infusion up to seven days oh, to my. have like a very strong ginger flavor. I know that ginger is a very particular taste, so for mine in particular, in this the, the one that we're doing today, I infused it for three days to uh. have like, a nice taste, a nice kick, but not too much spiciness from the ginger yeah. and not to overpower the rest of the ingredients. That makes sense. The second thing that we need to prepare in advance is the honey syrup. So oh. usually honey syrup is a ratio of three to one. So three parts uh, syrup, one part water, hot water to dissolve and uh, the, 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 the honey. I 
don't particularly like the three to one ratio because it's super thick and the honey is covering every other possible taste in the cocktail. So for this one, to don't have like super sweet taste of honey, I did a one to one ratio. Yeah, interesting. That's what I did too, yeah. Perfect. Good for you, Brandy. Finally following I'm directions. Following the rules. <laughs> yes. I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into the actual recipe of the cocktail. Yes. For this particular cocktail, we are gonna need two ounces of our ginger infused vodka or mm-hmm. regular vodka if you are really against ginger, Mariana. <laughs> Mariana. <laughs> Thank you, Ricardo. I appreciate the shout out. <laughs> One ounce of fresh pineapple juice, half of an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, half of an ounce of honey syrup, and three dashes of Angostura bitter. Another particular thing of this cocktail is the procedure. So we are gonna dry shake the cocktail in the same way that we dry shake the cocktail with egg whites on it, because we have pineapple juice. Pineapple juice, when it's shaken, it's gonna form this little thin foam on the top of the cocktail that is like right. really nice and sexy. Yeah. So, oh. first of all, let's put all the ingredients to, together in the shaker and shake it dry. It means no ice into the shaker. After that, we shake the cocktail for about 20 seconds. We are gonna open it and we'll one tip that I learned is like just put one big ice cube in the shaker and keep shaking with the big ice cube instead of a lot of them. The uh-huh. big chunk of ice will help us to keep the froth of the, in this case, of the pineapple juice. Uh, That's so yep. fascinating. Yep. So smart. And we're gonna strain our cocktail into our pre-chilled coupe glass and if you really want you can decorate it with uh, another dash of angostura bitter on the foam and a little slice of pineapple on the rim. This is really fancy. The foam on this is amazing. (laughs) It is so good. And you don't have to stir it, Brandy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not supposed to. Whoops. Nope. <laughs> I didn't, I swear. So the original cocktail, the Pineapple Express, is usually a rum-based cocktail, but we decided to change the spirit on this one because that is like all about vodka. Yeah. Right. And this cocktail was created on the west coast of the U.S. in California and evokes the calm after the tropical storms. Oh. And I think that this uh, cocktail is particularly appropriate for the chapters that you're about to read, guys. So, yeah, Ricardo, ready. seriously, right spot on. Brilliant as always. <laughs> Alla vostra salute, ragazze. Ah, Cheers. Love it. Ciao, Ricardo. Ciao. You're the best. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. All right, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. My favorite thing about this cocktail is that layer of sexy foam. That foam. Yeah, that's sexy Sexy foam. foam. Even without it, because mine is dried a little bit, 
It's still really good. And I love I gotta that say, ginger. yours, Emma, looks so gorgeous. I need a Emma's bartender in my house. Emma's drinking hers out of a beautiful <laughs> little coupe glass. Which I hopefully don't spill all over my computer and my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of ladies of luxury, mm. we start the beginning of this section with Betty working on the sales floor at Bergdorf Goodman, a job that she admits she's only half good at because she hates the sales part of working on the sales floor. Mm. And after a slight detour working for Mr. Bean again, she unwittingly talks her way into her own department at Bergdorf's doing exactly what she's good at. Yes. Helping women look and feel good. Yay, Betty. Yay. <laughs> she begins therapy despite the fact that she's not thrilled about it or her therapist with a ponytail. She makes a point of calling <laughs> out that detail. detail. <laughs> I know. And after so many years of ups and downs with Sunny, her now estranged husband... A new man enters her life. One of my favorite things about the way this section of the book begins is her staring up at the building on her first day of work. Yes. And she writes, Bergdorf Goodman, Xanadu, Candyland. Mm. And in a weird way, she's at her lowest point. She's alone. She's lost Sunny. Mm. She's only been out of the institution for, I think, six months at this point, working isn't exactly something that she views as like a good thing right. in life. Right. But in a weird way, this moment to me finally felt like she's arrived. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Totally. I think for us, it would be the equivalent of arriving on set for the guest star role that we had no idea was going right. to turn into like the recurring. Right. <laughs> wow. What Perfect a good analogy. Perfect analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I think we get that right away. <laughs> we know exactly yeah. what that real? is. Exactly. Am I here? Oh, I'm staying. Right, exactly. You want me back? For sure. the long run, yeah. I yeah. have to tell you this. I don't know that I've told you this before. You might know this, but we cannot discuss this book without me sharing that our bartender in residence, Ricardo, actually has had a little stint at Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah. Yes! Which is, oh, so you didn't this. Okay. It's like so weird <laughs> to me. He, this Italian who had never lived in the States before, comes over here and ends up getting a little gig at Bergdorf. A little gig. Yes. We'll leave it there. <laughs> so when I told him that we were reading this book, he was like, oh, he was like, yeah, Betty, the personal stylist. He was like, yeah, her portrait is hanging on like the seventh floor outside of the restaurant. And oh I was like, God. that's you unbelievable. know who I'm talking about? Ugh. So fun fact. Ricardo but he never actually Betty, saw so her, right? Uh, I mean, maybe he did, but had no idea that who she was. Yeah, this icon of a woman. But they've been in the same space together, which I just think is That's so, so fun amazing. and wild. <laughs> but going back to going back to Betty, what what made me really excited about this transition is that, like you said, she started there not knowing that this was going to be her major future. Yeah. But what the thing that really struck me about this is that. You know, she had, as we've discussed, she has come out of a broken marriage and a broken family, yeah. and she always blamed herself for that. Yeah. And so I love that this is like the first glimpse that we get of her feeling really empowered and feeling like she has a purpose, even yeah. though she doesn't even she doesn't even know what an impact she's going to have yet. 
Right. Yeah, she has no clue right. what the future holds but for I her. I also think on that note, it's really important for us to remember, I know we kind of keep harping on this, but it was such a different time then. Right. And divorce or splitting up, any of that so stuff taboo. was so taboo. And it was such a failure. Mm. Yeah. So I, for her to be starting this new job, this new segment of her life, I mean, while she's feeling this hurt and this ache of that failure totally. in a very public way, it's... Yeah, ugh. and I remember uh, last week, Brandy, that you had asked me because I kind of... For me, I got a sense that Betty felt was taking already the blame for Sunny cheating on her even yeah. before she yeah. was ready to leave the, or that she was willing for him to leave the marriage and for the marriage to fall apart. Yeah. But here she's so explicit about it. She actually starts contemplating like what actually happened. And there's a quote that I wanted to read to you guys because it really encompasses the aftermath of being institutionalized and her wondering, you know, what happened. Mm. So yeah. she writes, when I returned home from the institution, there were no children or husband to direct me. I ruminate on why everyone except for Frida had Sweet fled. Frida. Yeah. Her housekeeper, was it yeah. Her housekeeper. Yeah. So was it selfishness, the only child syndrome, overindulgent parents, a new environment, or all of the above? I went over the equation again and again in my cavernous apartment and mm -hmm. always came up with the same answer. I was to blame for the failure of a marriage and a broken family. Ugh. Oh. So there you have it. She, regardless of what happened, she she still felt that there was such a sense of guilt and remorse and she was still lost. Yeah, I think what's so interesting about that statement too, the piece of it that sticks with me is when she says, there were no children or husband to direct, direct. me. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's almost like for the first time, she feels like she has some choice in what she does, except she just doesn't know what that is yet. Right. You know what I mean? It's almost like she's discovering for the first time that what she wants matters and she can do that or something. Which I don't know if you, if either of you have ever felt this, but you know when you get out of a relationship and then you're a single woman again and it, it oh, yeah. as, you know, as much heartbreak comes out of breakups it was so long ago <laughs> that's true for you what is, you like, even remember what is those that days? like mariana was it decades for you mariana <laughs> yeah almost not. at least one Yikes. at least one <laughs> but you know that then you get after the heartbreak you get filled with this sense of uh, i don't know excitement and like empowerment mm -hmm. of being a single woman again and then it's like oh yeah you don't have to I hate saying report to, but you don't have to check in with anyone about what you want to yep. do. You just kind of do whatever the fuck you want to do. And there's no guilt either. I feel like sometimes in relationships, I I don't think that's the case with my husband now, but like in past relationships, if I wanted to like go hang out with friends like us for seven hours. Right. Yeah. Back in the day, we're happy hours. Nine, there would ten. be the guilt of like, well, I'm going to go do this instead of hanging out with you on the couch and watching TV for, you know, four hours or but something. But here's the thing, guys, because even Emma, you just said it, feeling empowered again. She had never felt that way before. Yeah, That's right. True. So for she her, has never been she's never known that. No. What a good So point. one thing is knowing yeah. what could be another thing is absolutely have knowing have no clue because and she having never experienced to discover it. what that exactly. is. What do exactly. I want? What do I want? Oh. 
Betty. Which is, which is exciting. Yes. But when you're in it, it's so scary it's and terrifying. It's confusing. Absolutely. Oh. So then she finds, out of all of this, she finds Philip, her psychologist with the ponytail. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the very young Philip. Yet again, another reason why I say thank God for therapy, because he seems to have really been a savior to her in this transitional yeah. period of being a single woman and um, coming out of like a, I guess I can say psychotic break. I feel like she had, do you think that's too extreme to say? At no, least being close so. to it. Yeah. Yeah. So he seemed to really be like a saving grace for her. Even though she did say that like a good child, I always went where I was sent. So she knew she kind of That's had to. True. That it was. Well, she, said, and yeah, she was. I don't remember. I thought she was referred to this guy by the institution. institution. Right. Oh. But Even I don't though they know did that, that was. They did I don't know. What? What? Pinch poke? Yo me poke? What? Loser says what? Huh? Say what? <laughs> I was just gonna say I don't know that the institution necessarily like mandated that she had to go, but I do think they referred her to him. Is that right, to Philip? Yeah, and I also they also gave her pills, which she decided not to take. So her best option right. out of the two was to follow through with the psychologist as opposed to taking medication. That's right. Yeah. She was super against the medication, and she didn't like Philip either, but for whatever reason. She stuck with him. She kept going. Yeah. yeah. She probably could tell that he would be helpful, would be helpful in the end. And he seemed to challenge her. It seemed like she always, it was a challenge. Right. She needed Yeah. Mm-hmm. She needs yeah. someone to challenge her. Well, I wrote this quote down that I love that feels like a, an appropriate segue to Bergdorf, because <laughs> that's where we're going to spend most of this episode. Yes, I, think. I can't wait. So she says, in fashion, misery is often confused with style. Let me say Ugh. that again, because mm. I love it. Do it. In fashion, misery is often confused with style. What I loved about this quote is, and I think this happens when she's sitting at lunch with her mother and her friend Corinne walks by, mm-hmm. and Corinne just happens to be having lunch with Mr. Nymark, the CEO of Bergdorf's, who takes notice of Betty's style and tells Corinne to get her to come work at Bergdorf's. Of this, Betty says, with all my frailties, neuroses, and lack of experience, it was curious that jobs always found me. I never had to look for work or even make a resume for that matter. My appearance, the way I paired a print of a tied blouse, gave the illusion of confidence and Mm -hmm. mastery. Mm -hmm. Which just... Brilliant. Yeah, it was just brilliant. And I love that her friend comes to her at lunch, compliments her, and Betty's thought and response is, uh, in fashion, misery is often confused with style. <laughs> it's so understated with her, always. She refuses to see what she could bring to the table, almost. And you know what? I actually do think that that happens. I'm not going to generalize this because I'm speaking for myself, this does happen to me quite often, that my perception of myself is not necessarily the perception of how others see me. Of course. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this is exactly what's happening to her. Like, everybody yep. sees her that she, like, just exudes this 
this presence has yeah, this aura about her because yeah. of her uniqueness and her style and then she doesn't feel that at all right at I, that time of course yeah because i was gonna say i do think that over her course at bergdorf she does gain that but i think oh, that it comes totally. with after it, doing what she does for so well yes. for so long that she realizes yeah. oh i am a beast right she even yeah. goes on to say that no doctor have, could have ordered a better medicine. Yeah. yeah. So she starts learning that this is exactly what she needed at the time yep. that it was brought to her life. I yep. mean, I don't know. I'm sure you all feel like this. Any actor feels like this where you're like always depressed and then you book something and you're like, oh, I am talented. I, <laughs> right. I, oh, I, I have fine. Worked. And yeah. then that job ends yeah. and then you're like back yeah. in a black hole and you're like, yeah. I'm never going to work again. And then you book something and you're right. like, yeah. I am amazing. And then it ends. (laughs) Which is so interesting because that's exactly why it's so important for us to find our own process within what we do and just find value in the work, which is, I feel, kind of like what Betty does in connecting with people. She sort of finds this safe haven in connecting with her clients and making them feel good and then in turn making herself feel good because she's been able to provide value to them. Right. Giving back to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, And for her, I think even at this point, you know, she's just on the sales floor and she makes a point of saying that at the point that it gets to the sale, she passes it off to one of the Mm -hmm. vendors, which I want nothing to do. I I feel her so hard in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. She wants nothing to do with the actual transaction. She just wants to make somebody feel good and get them an outfit that they love and feel good Mm -hmm. in. And that's all she, that's like currency for her. That's all she needs. That's her essence. The money part of it. Yeah. The money part of it is no thing. She even says that she marveled that something so easy for her could mm-hmm. be mean so much for others. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. So she sees it, but she still is trying to discover or trying to realize what all of this means. Because for her, it's innate. Think- Right. I think she's trying to figure out how to use it. I think it's like a superpower that she hasn't like mastered yet. Yeah. Mm. And she doesn't know like when to call it out necessarily. One of the one of the things that I loved so much about this first day and this interaction with the Venduses is so she arrives (laughs) on her first day of work in a bright green suit, which I love. Mm -hmm. And the other Venduses the other saleswomen are all dressed in black. She writes, in my world, black was reserved for evening, not daytime employment. And I really admired this statement and this little paragraph she devotes to this because I think if I had arrived for my first day of work without even without even being in her vulnerable state, you know, she's just out of the institution. It's her first day on the job. But if I had arrived and I wasn't dressed the way the other women in my position were, I think I would immediately think of myself as being Mm. in the wrong. Right. And I love it for Betty. She notes this difference, but she doesn't shame herself over it. She's just, in her world, it's different. That's it. That's so true. And it sort of stops there. I remember the night before my first day of high school, I, like, planned out my outfit with my Mm -hmm. best friend so that we at least looked the same. So if we showed up for the first day of high school and we looked different than everyone else, at least we were dressed the same. Oh, my God. I love that. Isn't that sad? (laughs) (laughs) But it's so high school. It's very high school. Yeah. What was really interesting is that she she even acknowledges that she 
was a particular threat to them because they were already on like the defensive right when she walks in because they're Mm -hmm. like why why is she different than us so to me it was all about like the lack of women supporting women Mm. sure and it was at that time we're talking about a completely different era but I was like, yikes. Right. <laughs> These women were already like about to tear her down. Right. If I'm not mistaken, it's on that very first day in the green suit that Carla Fendi shows up at the exactly. store. Exactly. And her one of her people, quote unquote people, comes over to Betty and just says, may I ask who you are? Mm-hmm. Just because of the way she's dressed, they assume she must different. be someone. That's yeah. a yeah. power fucking move if I've ever yeah. heard one. I love that. But what I love is that she, it's not a power move that she makes consciously. This is no. just Betty being Betty. This is who she is. Right. Yeah. And she's finally feels liberated to be who she is. Yeah. I mean, she kind of has no choice. She's got she nothing no left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. She's got nothing left to fall back on. Yeah, it's she's got to make choices. I guess this is really the beginning of her confidence streak. Because then, shortly after that, Mr. Niemark Niemark, remarks to Betty that there's no record of her ever having made a sale. And she's like, yeah. And so he's like, well, what do you want to (laughs) do if you don't care about the sale aspect? And she responds that she believes that she can build her own department for personal shopping, which didn't even exist at the time, which I didn't realize. I thought that had just been there since the dawn of time. She created that department. And and she writes after that, where did I get the nerve? What was I thinking Mm. making such an outlandish request? She said, he hadn't known what to do with me when they hired me, but then again, no one ever has. Right. (laughs) Including herself, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kind of never known her own worth. I love this is that. one of those moments that I just, it's one of those moments that completely changes your destiny mm-hmm. and it changes the path of your future. And for <laughs> her, certainly it does. And I, it made me think of little moments that I've had like that in the past where I do something or say something that years later, I'm like, where did I get the ball yes. to do that? Like what? And I wondered, tell me, tell me. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, my God. So for me, I literally, I think I have two in my whole life that I can think of moments like this where I look back and I'm like, how did this happen? And yet, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am. Mm -hmm. So I think you guys both know this story. But I was up for kind of a big job a couple of years ago. It was a commercial that was really more of a hosting gig. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. I go into the room, the director's there, and we do the scripted copy a couple of times. He sort of has me ad-lib and improvise here and there, which is fine, totally normal. And then we do like a little interview where he basically asks me what my hosting experience is. (laughs) And I don't have any. But I sort of quickly throw in that I used to do stand-up comedy. So I'm like used to doing crowd work and that kind of thing. Which is a total exaggeration. (laughs) Like, I used to do stand-up, but never in my life would I have had the guts to do crowd work. It just sounds terrifying to me. Hey, but you were quick on your feet. True. That's true. I'm doing crowd work in the moment. (laughs) Yep. So I lie, and I say that that I've done crowd work before, and that's similar to hosting. So the callback goes super well. And on my way out, my husband calls me to see how it went. And I literally 
Hmm. I'm just in a daze. And I say to him, I think that just went really well. And if I book this job, I'm completely screwed because I actually cannot (laughs) do what I just said I could do. And it sort of dawned on me in that moment how terrifying and like horrifying this job would be if I booked it. And then I booked it. And then you booked it. (gasps) And it was. I remember the first... We shot for two days that first time. And it was... It was the most horrific shoot I've probably ever had. It turned out to be amazing. But in the moment, because I really did not know what I was doing, it was like a horror show of just feeling like any minute now I'm going to be exposed. Oh, no. Don't you... Don't they always say, though, that the things that are the most terrifying are the things that will then that are worth end doing. up meaning that are worth the most? Doing. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Well, what about you guys? I want to know if you guys have one. The first thing that popped into my mind, um, as you ladies know, but for the listeners out there, one of my side jobs, I'm a bilingual interpreter for yeah. depositions. Oh. So I interpret Spanish to English to Spanish in a tiny little court reporting office with anywhere from six to eight lawyers at a time with the witness that I'm oh translating for. And it is terrifying because it's very high stakes. Yeah. yeah. And the stories for are them, sometimes... For the people. Totally. There's a lot of money involved and the stories are sometimes pretty sad i mean we're talking anywhere from construction accidents like workers comp cases or automobile accidents or loss of life medical malpractice so it's you're privy to all of that all of it and literally people's lives and futures are dependent on my translation you translating (laughs) what they're saying yeah and i'm under oath the whole time so this is it's i i've loved doing this type of work and I've been doing it for several years now but you kind of have to have some balls yeah and I've had to kind of grow some balls to be little me in a court reporting office with all these lawyers who have studied for years it's something that I yes now I don't have my certification but I have studied this and being a native Spanish Spanish speaker and an actor does come into play like all those things together work and that's something you have over them that they don't have like I wonder how many of them are bilingual so you're like bam but well, I can they totally me. see That's where what it would I'm be saying. so intimidating to be in a room with eight lawyers or whatever it is. And the thing is, if I'm on the defense side and there's five plaintiff's attorneys, right? They're the ones that are going to be questioning the witness, but they're basically questioning, they're questioning me. You. Oh. And then a lot of times, and the one instance that I remember is one of them was like, he wanted to hear himself out, wanted everybody to know that he needed to be heard. And he said, I know Spanish right before the deposition started, just so I knew that he would be watching me. Oh, my God. And then and like policing you. Exactly. So during during the deposition, he kept questioning a particular word. And then we kept going back and forth. And then at one point and all of this is on on record. I stop and I say, do you want me to look up that word? Because he kept on changing it for the record because it would benefit him as opposed to me doing the correct Uh... translation. I go to Google, which is not the best thing to do because, of course, it depends on where you come from. Since I was speaking Colombian Spanish, I don't remember. I think this person was Dominican. So a lot of times words can mean different things depending where you come from. So I look up at the word and I knew exactly what I was talking about. 
And this guy, he, like, his face transformed <laughs> to the point that during our lunch break, he never came, afterwards, he never <gasps> came back. That's right. You showed he, him. God. But I was like, I can't, I can't keep going on like this when someone's questioning me, knowing that I know what I'm talking about. But you know, you guys know me. I usually, I have a hard time standing up to people and I have a hard time just like, like retaliating or just being like, hey, you know, this yeah. is my voice. I own myself. Yeah. So that was something that I was like, I will never forget because it was early on as a bilingual my career as a bilingual interpreter Aww. and that just gave me like the power to be like you know i if i, I know, know what, what I'm, doing, I'm doing they need to see it that i know what i'm doing yes. yeah totally oh. totally so that's oh. mine i love that <laughs> well i have a story that comes to mind for this that i actually love to tell Oh, it didn't yes. really end in a positive way for me, but I still think it's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> I worked at a restaurant here for quite a while, which shall not be named, but I was a server for a while at said restaurant in New York. And we used to have like crazy, people used to host crazy holiday parties. They would like buy out the whole restaurant. And there was another which shall not be named, major mm. talent agency that bought out the entire restaurant for their holiday party a couple years ago. And so I was like, fuck. So here I am, like, cocktail waitressing for all of these yeah. major Ugh, agents the whom I would love to work with. Of course. So I slapped on my red lipstick, and I was like, I'm at least going to look as good as I can look for this. Yeah, girl. Passing fucking <laughs> champagne flutes on a tray. Hell yeah. So at the end of the night, there was this one guy that I had I realized I had kept like continually giving drinks to and he was getting more and more tipsy. So at the end of the party, at the end of the night, he was he was pretty tips. And he was like, <laughs> you know what I would really love right now? And I was like, oh, oh God. God, exactly. I was like, what? He was like, you know, those pretzel bites with cheese sauce. I was like, yeah, he's like, I would oh really God. love those. And I was like, well, you're in luck. There's a movie theater next door. You can go get those literally <laughs> next door. Like, how you lucky are can you? You go get those. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, he hands me a $100 bill and says, or you can get them for me. <sighs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Douche. So Ugh. I put the $100 bill back in his pocket. And I was like, <gasps> I can't do that. Emma. I know. How ballsy. No, 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 no. But I was like, same time. I'm still a human being. I'm still a woman. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I put it back in his pocket. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I was like, you know, <laughs> the party's almost over. You can go do it. And he <laughs> said to me, I thought that you'd have more courage or something like something to that effect. Like, I thought that I thought you would have the strength to do this. What and an I idiot. said, I will take my apron off, throw it on the floor, and never walk back in this restaurant if you get me a meeting for representation. Like, how? I mean, I could have been fired for this. Like, if my manager, if you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> yes, I did this. Oh, my God. I love it. And I said, so I said that. I'll throw off my apron on the floor right now, and I will never come back here if you get me a meeting for representation, and I will go get your pretzel bites with cheese sauce. And he was like, what department do you need? And I told him, and he was like, Ugh, that's not my department. I'm so sorry. I can't help you. And I was like, okay, well, then, sorry. 
no pretzel bites. Go get your fucking pretzel bites. <laughs> but I was like, A, I couldn't believe that I did that because I was working and I definitely could have been fired. Also, oh, I don't know that I would God. ever speak to an agent that way in the future, like someone I really wanted to work with. But I was like, well, he was. But under the circumstances, the way he treated you. Yeah, I, he's being very was, brazen. It's very totally. brazen, you know, from on both of our ends. <laughs> so it oh didn't work God. out. But at least I was like, yeah, Good show you, him. Emma. You did I mean, show him. I don't think that that's a story that you should tell under the premise of like, it didn't work out because I think you kind of showed him what's what. I love that you made him be like, oh, actually, I don't work in that department, so I can't help you. It's almost like you made a little boy out he of him defeated. in that moment. He was defeated. Yeah. <laughs> totally. What I love about this story, what I love about all these stories is that they're sort of about us either knowing or unknowingly sort of stepping into our own power. And Mm -hmm. I feel like for Betty, it's therapy, Mm. which she didn't even want to do, that sort of leads her to the strength she needs to turn over this new leaf, which seems to fully happen when she gets an angry letter from Mr. Bean. At this point, she's still working at Bergdorf's, but she's not working in Mr. Bean's at his little... I guess, boutique within Bergdorf's. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Bean writes Betty an angry letter basically saying, I'm going to tell Mr. Neemark that you were institutionalized. He needs to know who he's working with. And Betty says, this cannot be wrote. I've got to get on with it and start a new story here. That she had been sick, but that Mr. Bean had had nothing to do with saving her. So finally realizing that she was worth saving, Mm. she was doing it herself and Mm -hmm. this to me seems to be the first real moment when betty chooses to stand on her own two feet she marches that letter right on up to mr neemark's office neemark (laughs) neemark she ends the chapter by saying so that's how you do it you get on with life by facing it yeah and this to me seems like the first moment where like she's not going to be bullied by mr bean who is a friend at this point yeah She's not going to be bullied by him saying, I'm going to go tell the world the truth, the quote unquote truth about you. She's like, no, I'm going to just own what I've done. I'm going to own who I am. And whatever happens, happens. So I agree with everything that you said, except for one minor detail. (laughs) Tell us. So with Mr. Bean. Yeah. There's something about, and I'm going to kind of go a little jump a little bit here because towards the end I think of chapter six mm-hmm. Mr. Bean and her start seeing each other again yeah right? they and make amends they make amends yeah and there's something about how they make amends and how he loans her a dress to wear at the party this like glamorous party that she has after publishing her first book secrets of a fashion therapist mm-hmm. and how it seems to me that he challenged her that letter that he wrote in a way yes of course he was disheartened and he hated the fact that she left him because she never thought that she would there's something to me about mr bean that challenged her in a way for her to make the take this leap because i know that there's been instances in my life where i've had those particular individuals who not to say that they treated me wrongly at like any a mentor point. yeah And the reason why I say this is because towards the end of the chapter, she says that at her desk in Bergdorf Goodman, in her department, she has a picture of her children and a picture of Mr. Bean. 
So I feel like if Mr. Bean wasn't someone that really challenged her in a way to make her move forward, even though she did it completely on her own, and I feel that at that point she definitely found herself being as empowered like she had never been. But if it wasn't for him, I don't think she would have taken that like extra leap when she did. I definitely think Mr. Bean and working with Mr. Bean were stair steps to her gaining the confidence that she eventually had to be able to sort of buy for and run the solutions department. But I think this guy is maybe he's an eccentric genius, you know. He invented she, the jumpsuit. He's a genius. Totally. <laughs> and she definitely <laughs> speaks about him in that way as if he's this creative fashion genius. But I'm sorry. I think he was pissed that Betty had been the person he could rely on to run his little boutique yeah. or whatever. And at the moment that Betty finds something better for herself, he gets pissed off. That's not a mentor. You know what I mean? I think a mentor wants better for you. And I think that's the thing that really pissed me off about Mr. Bean. And she seems to forgive him and they seem to move on from this. But I thought this was a pretty shitty move to threaten to send her employer of a new department she's starting a letter saying, oh, she was in an institution. Did you know that? Like, But I don't think he actually that? mentioned the institution because I thought it was interesting that that's how you um, uh, that's what you got out of that. Because I, I didn't think it actually had anything to do with the institution. Rather... She was working for me, and she just left without saying anything. Is this someone that you trust? Oh, interesting. I didn't even think it had anything to do with her being institutionalized. I thought it was just... But then what did you make of Betty's quote? She literally says, yes, I'd been sick, but he, speaking of Mr. Bean, had nothing to do with saving me. Saving me. So there does seem to be some reference to the institution in there. So maybe I just glossed over that and I didn't even mm, consider You're just that. so tied up in these jumpsuits. <laughs> no, you won't I see love the a truth. Jumpsuit. I think I think <laughs> my point is that if this situation wouldn't have happened, she would have never done what she did and I don't think she that would have ever felt true. as empowered as she was, that which I think knowing how strong she became, I don't think she would have ever like become such good friends with him again and they would have become so close yeah. and her like think of him I think that's right in such a in such a caring way after he passes she mm -hmm. recognizes this moment for what it was worth to her versus necessarily just what it was in the moment if that makes any sense yes it does just like Philip her I guess Okay, what's the difference between psychologist and therapist? Because she never says therapist. She always refers know. to him as psychologist. Oh, I don't know. This is maybe an ignorant question. Okay, we all know who Philip is, the guy with the ponytail. Right, He ponytail says guy. to her, he tells her to get out of her dollhouse, which, you know, she's referenced uh, before that her life is like a perfect little dollhouse with her two beautiful children and their fabulous wardrobe and her husband. By shaking her dollhouse upside down, she says that she found... I had choices. So I think yeah. it was, I think it really was like a culmination of Mr. Bean accusing her, but also mm -hmm. just trying something so different that wasn't as 
that wasn't deemed as appropriate and perfect as other actions. I think that I think that she really just she shook her dollhouse upside down and realized that she could do something off the cuff. But interestingly for her, that was a really difficult thing to do. I think in this section she mentions, I think he says that to her, Betty, get out of your dollhouse. And she's like, why? Dollhouses are beautiful. And she even goes on to talk about like the dollhouse she had had, the real dollhouse, not the figurative dollhouse that she had had as a child, the dollhouse that they had gotten for her daughter. Like this seems to be an image that was really difficult for her to give up. Yeah. Even though yeah. she does eventually do it. And it's and it's sad because I, as an only child, again, for the millionth time, <laughs> there's, there's a thing about having to be perfect. And yeah. not necessarily if you're raised that way, but because you're the only you're one. You're the only yeah. one. So there's a sense that you always feel like perfection is like the ultimate goal. And I think for her, a dollhouse equaled perfection. Yeah. And for her to get rid of that and to then be spontaneous and just do it right. was so hard and, and she, i can only she, imagine that at this point in time it's the 50s the 60s at this mm-hmm. point that's only more heightened just by societal demands yeah to be perfect to be this perfect family who has the perfect house with 2.5 kids and a dog you know that kind of thing <laughs> and the crazy thing is during during the section she also goes on to say that she felt like she never belonged that she didn't know a sense of contentment. Yeah. So even though she wanted to build this dollhouse around mm. herself, but she always felt like she was looking into the dollhouse as opposed to being a part of the dollhouse. Yeah. I think she says that exact thing at one point. Yeah. Mm. She like, That's and she sweet. always fantasized about being back with Sunny, but then knowing that she couldn't do that, that would mean that she was facing abandonment again, which is a yeah. reoccurring theme that we continue to mm-hmm. talk about. Yep. And so it's just, it's, it's hard. I mean, what she, everything that she went through, it's, and for her to be so courageous to write about all of this, for us to be able to explore it ourselves and what it means to us. Yeah, exactly. To set the example. Right. Yeah. So guys, now Betty had committed to her choice. Mm. Her choice was to feel empowered but then to also empower her clients. Yeah. Because yeah. she she goes on and says that an appointment was a failure in my eyes only if the woman did not walk away feeling better than when she came in. Oh. This was okay. something I think that really sparked like this fire in her that she wanted to make sure that these women that she took care of, she understood them. She could yeah. read their expressions, could read their minds. And so... I found it fascinating how she started talking about all these individual clients and how some of these clients also had the same idea that she used to have back at earlier part of her life where she used to say that she couldn't wear an outfit twice because God forbid somebody would see her in her outfit twice. (laughs) Right. And so I started thinking about me (laughs) and how you guys know that I was before COVID I was obsessed with Uh, Rent the Runway Rent the Runway Rent the Runway but that coat that you have from there is so beautiful I hope you kept that I know no I I mean I stopped my subscription during COVID because I of course of course during this time I wasn't gonna I know but then I also, my reasoning behind 
the whole rent the runway thing is that I didn't want an outfit of mine that I wore to be posted twice on Instagram mm. because oh God, God forbid that somebody on Instagram <laughs> would see me in the same outfit twice. Oh my so gosh. I know this may sound completely superficial, but that's kind of like why I was doing it for a while. But you also and, love clothes. That wasn't I the do. only reason. No, 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 no. I love clothes. But the reason I'm bringing this up, it's because Instagram does create this whole facade of yes. things being so together and so perfect. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That I felt the need to meet those standards, even though I am very passionate about mm-hmm. trying to find unique pieces of wardrobe and trying to have my own sense of style with these different pieces. But it sucks that I relied so heavily on this pressure about trying to meet those standards. So I'm wondering if you guys have ever felt that pressure from social media in respect to clothing or how you look on social media. I know that's a very, that's a lot thrown at you at once. So I don't know who wants to tackle that. In clothing, never. I am not, <laughs> I don't think anyone would describe me as being like a stylish person. I've never really cared or known how to dress myself. <laughs> like I really miss living with all of my gay about. best friends. You always friends. look so cute. I know. It's See, again, how we perceive her versus how she perceives herself. Right. <sighs> Well, thank you. But yeah, I definitely don't feel like, I feel like I always have to ask other people, does this look good? Like, does this work together? Like when I lived with my gay best friends, it was like my favorite time because they were so Uh, honest with me and they were so good at helping me piece things together that I never thought would have gone together or they'd be like, no, this is terrible. Um, and then when I was not with them, I was like, how do I dress myself <laughs> so on clothing? I don't, that doesn't really resonate with me, but yeah, I mean, social media, like how can it not really, I think, especially in our field where people are looking at you I as know. a, that's the thing, as like an object, which is one of the things that I really like hate the most about our job mm-hmm. is that you're not just looked at for what you do, but like what you look like and like the whole package hype. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate social media. I hate Instagram. I feel like I love the part that lets me engage with other people. Like, I love looking at other people's stuff. Mm. But when it comes to posting my own stuff, it's such a point of anxiety for me. And I have to admit, it's kind of sad. But, like, clothes are also a point of, like, not just anxiety for me, but just, like, indifference for me a little bit. Like, I I think that if it weren't for our job... I literally every day would get up, put on a crisp white button-down shirt, a sharp pair of jeans, some booties. I would just be like skin and curly hair and like that would be, I would have like a That's uniform. so Texan of you. <laughs> That's just all I ever want to wear except that like obviously we have certain like wardrobe that they want for certain auditions or whatever. So you like want to look a certain way, but like I just don't. But Brandy... I challenge you outside of auditions to wear that same outfit every day and just make that your brand. You think so? If that's all you want to wear, then yes. Uh, why not? What gets hard though is we're like, so like even, you know, even today, like I had a thing where it was like the the type was like mom at home cooking dinner and like mom at home cooking dinner is not wearing a fucking button down white shirt. You know what I mean? Like. Okay, okay, but I say outside of auditions. I'm talking like you as totally. your brand, Brandy, Bravo. Yeah. Wait, 
What's your name? As Brandy Bravo brand. Your brand of oh my Brandy god, my Brandy Bravo, Bravo brand. Whoa! I am creating a business for you in this moment right now. I am making you. You're creating the Brandy Bravo brand. Brand of Brandy, Brandy brand. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, but yes, you guys that's are what I mean. Proving my point about these. Forget about social media. It's these social standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we we feel like we need to meet. Why? Right. Why? And that's why Betty is so great about coming in with a green power suit and everybody else in dark or black outfits. Right. But she also would never Do repeat it. an outfit more than once, which is so funny. True. But I love her for that. Like, that's her brand. And I don't know. I'm wondering if because she said that about her clients, but I don't know if that Yeah, I don't know that she subscribes to that. Yes. No, anymore. I think she does. I think when she's one of them... She yeah. lives that way. But then yes. once she crosses over to the other side, once she and Sunny are no longer together and she's yes, living this exactly. life on her own, I think that changes things because she talks about how she has all these very old clothes. Somebody asks her at one point, what brand is that? And <laughs> yeah. she's like, O-L-D. It's old. Ha! So <laughs> she has these things for a very long time. I can't imagine that she doesn't rewear them, but maybe she doesn't rewear them with the same things. Yeah, she makes and matches the different pieces. Speaking of her and Sunny not being together anymore, I heard you say it, and now I feel like I want to get into the next topic. Let's do it. Can we talk about our sweet friend, Jim? Jim. Oh my gosh. Right? Doesn't him. it just make you want to go, oh, Jim? It really yeah. does. Why do we love him so Teddy much? Teddy Bear. No well, red flags with Jim. What isn't there to Not love? Single, exactly. What isn't there to love? My favorite is that I think in Jim, Betty finally finds somebody who she says believes in her. <laughs> and he, I think Jim is somebody who, unlike Sunny, Jim doesn't do things for her. He teaches her how to do things for herself. Because he believes in her potential. Exactly. He teaches her how to pay for retirement, the importance of renter's insurance. He wants to help her become more independent. And I think that just immediately for me, like melted my heart. And he was the perfect person for her to meet at this point in her life. Mm. You know, what was incredible to me is how not only did she mention all those amazing qualities that he had but you could sense the love and the adoration he had for her yeah how the time that they spent together she says that he was the happiest with a book and just her by his his side that's all he needed all i've ever wanted is a guy to do like crossword puzzles next to me exactly he didn't need anything else well on the flip side yeah yeah sunny needed everything else but betty but her Mm. So for uh, me, this was like, I, I was just so... And Sunny also uh, sort of seemed to need her to be dependent on him in a way that Jim is sort of the opposite. Yeah. He doesn't need that or want that from her at all. Also, she says, finally found someone I could talk to. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just someone that like believed in yeah. her and saw her full potential. It was someone that she Ugh. felt that she could express whatever she wanted to Absolutely. and they would listen. Like why she was looking her. after, why she was seeking out other men in her affairs, mm, so that yes. she could talk to them. Yes, Ugh. I love Jim. I, 
I, I agree. I remember feeling the exact same way when Jason and I started dating because I had had a couple of serious relationships before Jason, but I had always, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but like there was always a little bit of like sneaking around, not in, in a way of like being unfaithful or anything like that, but just, I couldn't wholly be myself with any of them, or I couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily give all of my truth to any of them for fear of judgment or being made fun of or whatever the case may be. And I remember when Jason and I were finally starting to get serious and that kind of stuff, I remember just feeling like I could tell Jason anything and I didn't have to keep a single secret. There was nothing Mm. Jason didn't know. And we were so happy and it was like amazing. Oh, as much it's, as they may hate that, because then it's like, well, then you have to deal with my burps in your face, but you've accepted that <laughs> from me. So now you get all of me. You're welcome. <laughs> That's sweet. It's, yeah, it's so great that you say that, Brandy, because I, it really is true. When you find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you, you don't hold anything back. Yeah. I'm the same way because Andrew and I, 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 I will never forget our first date. Our first night together was just that. Me like spilling everything yeah. that I've been wanting to tell someone, mm. you know, just to like be myself and be completely free to just, it was like verbal diarrhea. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily diarrhea. It was all really good stuff, but it was a <laughs> lot of just me being me and I remember falling asleep on his lap and he was just like Aww. petting my head first because date I was just, yeah Aww. I mean of course we we had a lot of fun before then but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just that I mean PG-13 fun um but we it was but it was it was just very sweet that I was able to just yeah yeah. Here's to Jason, Andrew, and Ricardo. Ricardo. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for letting us fall asleep on your laps, burp and yeah. diarrhea all over you. Thanks, y'all. You guys aren't Cheers. laughing. Was that really gross? I'll drink to that. Drink it was a little gross. That. I think the very last thing that happens in this section of the book is that Betty's solutions department expands and she starts working with the tv and film industry oh duh uh, helping sort of helping these productions get wardrobe for their sort of a-list clientele sex in the city (gasps) sex in the city (laughs) well she worked with so many so many different actors and Oh uh, directors, yeah. and I mean, like from Meryl Streep to uh, Candace, Candace Bergen, Bergen Liza Mia Farrow. Yeah, and, like it's such a long list. It's crazy. One of my favorite quotes from this section: She says, "Naturally, costume designers shopped all over the city, but when they came to Bergdorf, carrying pictures and sizes on paper from which to pull multiple looks, they used me like a personal computer." The inventory was stored in my brain, and better than a computer, I actually knew where the clothing lived. And what I loved about that quote was that, like, she takes so much pride in her work and in her job. Mm -hmm. And we see this same attitude, too, when she describes how her clients came to her asking for all kinds of recommendations from veterinarians Mm -hmm. and restaurants to dry cleaners with specific specialties. She sort of positions herself as an expert resource 
for like anything you might Everything. need a recommendation for. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite things from this section was she talks about my heart sort of stopped when she talked about Joan Rivers and Joan Rivers style. She Mm. says, great style, of course, has less to do with physical beauty than with high intellect. Joan Rivers reinvents herself season to season, which only someone with great intellect can do. She is the definition of multifaceted. I grew up just adoring and like idolizing and lionizing Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. And even though I know that this show wouldn't have survived today, I fucking loved Fashion Police. I never missed an episode, which is weird really? for a kid who, watch that too. It's weird for a kid who didn't love clothes. I yeah. loved Fashion Police. It was such a good show. And such it was because show. of her. So when yeah. when I read this part and I, I saw that they were friends, I was just like, oh, I felt like an angel got their wings when Aww. I read that. <laughs> Can we close this chapter by quoting Betty yes. to send this forward to all of our lady friends? Okay. Betty says, I wanted to give my ladies fortitude in all things, and in that, they felt better for just having asked. And I say this with a few ladies of luxuries deep, <laughs> that I just feel so strongly about women feeling comfortable asking for what they want yeah, and not feeling embarrassed or ashamed to stand up for themselves and I know, like, we still have a whole nother... We still have the last, like, what, three chapters of the book left to discuss. Yeah. This feels like a bookend for the book. <laughs> and it's not. It's not. But I just love that. To be continued. I just want to, like, empower women, like, all day long, like Betty. And I wanted to plug that quote. So thank you. Yeah. And I feel like in conjunction with that, too, I feel like women... And I know myself for sure. Sometimes we feel so apologetic for asking yes. for what we want, even when it's like normal. When we or, did nothing, you know, stuff that we deserve. Yeah, just regular stuff. And we just we have, have to stop. stop saying sorry for things that we didn't do. Right. Ah, oh, cheers. I'll, I'll drink, drink to that. To that. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> clink, 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 clink. Mm. All right. What is our final question? Do we have Show a final? final question? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. What do we got? Well, I guess it's appropriate to end on this note, oh. right? If we're talking so much about wardrobe and then we talked about some, uh, about the fashion, how she revolutionized fashion for us. And it was part of her, like her feminist movement yes. to yeah. inspire designers or ask them to change. Oh, yes. She for did practicality. That too. Isaac Mizrahi. She was like, your pants yes. don't fit women anymore. Oh, that's right. Fix it. And so he did. And he did. throughout your lives, ladies, mm. chicas, senoritas. <laughs> What has been your favorite outfit of all time? How about that? Do you have something that exudes power or sexiness or that you just felt comfortable in? That you loved wearing? Oh my goodness. That you just felt like you were in Sex in the City walking down the street and being like, yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker, I don't know. (laughs) Never. Nope. Never. (laughs) 
I can't say that I have that. I think I do have, I have three articles of clothing that are like, like safety nets for me that are like talismans for me. Hmm. One of them is my mom gave me a pair of pearl earrings when I was a teenager. And actually, both of my sisters have the same set of pearl earrings. And every time I, like, when I'm wearing my mom's earrings, it's like my mom is there. So, like, I put them on and I literally feel like, okay, my mom is with me. And I have a necklace that Jason gave me when we, early on when we started dating. And I feel the same thing when I put that necklace on. I'm like, okay, I've got Jason with me. And I have one, I have a sweater that my mother-in-law gave me as a gift. It was a Christmas gift. I think it might have been the last Christmas gift she gave me, but it's a beautiful sort of cream-colored white knit sweater. And I don't know why. I think it just reminds me of her. She was such a classy, beautiful woman. And the sweater just reminds me so much of her. And when I put it on, I always feel like, oh, okay, Sherry's with me too. So those three pieces of clothing to me are always like safety and confidence and like I can do this that's that's so so sweet (laughs) I don't want to follow that oh stop go ahead come on no I mean I truly if I really thought about it I'm sure I could come up with something more exciting but the first thing that comes to mind about my favorite outfits are like literally any of my yoga leggings (laughs) (laughs) I live in my yoga clothes and I I love love my legging collection I I have a huge drawer in my dresser that's just devoted to my yoga clothes because it's really mostly what I wear like talk about really not giving a shit about fashion do you think you have yeah what are we talking about here I don't know, oh like just shy of twenty. Oh wow! Like I collect them. I love them. About like five, and they're comfy. You, <laughs> that's kind of a trend for you. That's a theme for you. You collected what was it like the lipstick? The, hey, yeah, the, you collect stuff. You collect stuff. Uh, there's there's a lot of this coming out. I told you I love order. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just like it's just comfy, and then I don't have to like think about what outfit I'm gonna wear. I just wear that. I wear it to yoga, and then I just stay in it. What do you got, Mariana? It's so funny because it's like the complete opposite of both of you. <laughs> Yours I is think like we knew that my would sweetheart, be the case. neckline, dress. <laughs> well, close. So, prom. When I was in high school, oh. yeah, my prom that I went to prom with my Spanish boyfriend from Spain. Well, he was actually from Ecuador. No, not Ecuador, El Salvador. But he was living in Spain at the time, so my oh. parents flew him to go to prom with me, which was very exciting. Oh and he my. was he was older. It was fun. Anywho, for that, I ended up getting a bustier uh, prom dress. So I was like the bustier, which was like a sweetheart neckline. I knew it. You are a sweetheart neckline. You are. It was this iridescent color, so it was between, like, depending where you would look, it would sparkle, but it was, like, green and purple. Yes. And then it had a skirt that could attach to it, but it was one of those puffy ballerina tutu oh, type of skirts. So I felt like a princess in it. Did you feel but like be- Carrie Bradshaw, you know, in that opening totally. sequence? 
Totally. I was living and breathing her. I mean, Patricia Field would have been very proud of me. <laughs> but the greatest part of that is because it's you you can detach the top from the skirt that I've worn this bustier. I can't even tell you how many times throughout my life. It still fits me to this day. You still have it? So many years. I wore it like maybe two months ago. I've worn it for parties. I've worn it with jeans. Like this top makes me feel like everything. You guys have probably seen me with it. Maybe. I'll have to show you a picture later. But that's like my thing. And Andrew always says, he's like, well, there are the bazungas. (laughs) (laughs) You do have some bazungas. Yeah, they're they're pretty special. Cheers to your bazungas. <laughs> but anyway, that was my puffy fairy princess dress. Well, on that note, on the note of <laughs> to your bazungas. bazungas, my bazungas. I'll drink to that. Oh, Betty. Thank you guys so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Join us again next week. We'll be discussing the last three chapters, 8, 9, and 10. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a fabulous five-star review. If and you like us, or fall. if you didn't like us. Or even more. There's <laughs> ten stars. Just Are there seven stars? I don't know. Maybe. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at AreTheseBooksDrunk to keep up with our discussion and what our cocktail pairing will be so that you can read along and sip along with us because it's always happy hour here. Always. <laughs> <laughs> A what? (laughs) It's going to be my favorite sign-off. A what? (laughs) Instead of amen. A what? A what? Cheers, ladies. Cheers, ladies. (laughs) Cheers. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Bye.